You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Good evening, everybody. Good to see a lot. Oh, that was a good, good evening. Very, very good. Yeah, there you go. Even better. Um, good to see a lot of faces that I didn't scare away. That's always good. With a part two, you never know if you're coming into a whole different audience, and I'm seeing a lot of people that we've seen before, so that's that's good. I didn't scare you away. Um, well, as Pastor Travis said, I think we'll, we'll just jump right into it. Um, continuing our talk about knowing God through doubt and suffering. Um, it's good to jump right into it because really this is just a, a, a continuous thought, one continuous thought as we're moving through. But hopefully from last week, when I talk about knowing God, right, just that first part, because that's what we accomplished last week, right? We, we discussed what it means to know God. Um, hopefully we're all on the same page. Those of you that were here last week, or maybe you even caught the recording. Um, when I say, you know, God, there's some stuff loaded into that, right? Um, when we talk about knowing God, hopefully you're starting to understand there's, there's a lot more, not just that we could be meaning by that, but there's a lot more that God wants out of us knowing him. And he doesn't just want us knowing about him. Now, now I, I thought about that. I walked away last week thinking, yeah, I hope I'm clear. Uh, clarity is a, a really important goal for me. And I hope I'm clear that knowing about God is a very important thing. It's a very valuable thing. But only in so much as knowing about God leads us to know God. Um, I was talking about my wife a little bit last week. And um, I know a lot about her. Uh, but my relationship can't be reduced to just me knowing about her. It's all about that relationship. Um, how did we say it last week that there's this interactional relationship? The more you interact with something or someone, the more we say that you know it, um, not just know about it. And so, uh, but that said, as much as I know my wife, I don't just know about her, I know her, but I still want to know more about her, right? Um, I still want to know more of that information. Now, the relationship can't be reduced to that, but I still want to know more about her so that I can know her better. I just got to thinking about that, and I didn't want to walk away with you thinking, oh, so we don't even know about God. No, no, no. Knowing about God is the way in which we know God more. But it's only one of those ways. And so what I want to do tonight and on into the next night is, is a couple of avenues by which we can know more not just about God, but that we can know God more. Um, ways in which we, we really don't think that this is how we know God more. We usually don't think about doubt and suffering being ways that we can know God in a deeper way. Um, usually when we think about doubt and suffering, those are things that are leading us away from God. And my contention is no. I, I believe that through doubt and through suffering, we can come to know God on a whole other level. At least that's, that's been my experience. Um, and in recently, that's been my study. That's been what I've been, really been trying to focus my, my attention towards. And so tonight, um, this part two, uh, covering this knowing God through doubt and through suffering, um, we want to talk about doubting God. Last week, we talked about knowing God. This week, we'll talk about doubting God. Now, how is it that you can come to know God deeper through doubt? It seems like doubt is the one thing that would be pushing you away from God because you doubt. Well, I, it's not only been my experience, but also I can point to a lot of examples in Scripture, and I think we're going to point to a few of them tonight, where folks doubted, and it was actually because of the doubt they came to know God in a deeper, more real way. Now, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get this out of the way. I've got a couple of passages um, right at the top of your notes there. Um, just a couple of quotes 
uh, not really a conversation, but more of an interaction between a couple people. And I say I want to go ahead and get out of the way because this is one of those passages of Scripture I have a hard time going through without it just bringing me to tears. I, I get messed up over this passage. Um, the first quote that you see there is from the Apostle Thomas. Now, Thomas, um, if, if, uh, if you're a person like me, Thomas is someone that you can relate to a lot. Thomas is a patron saint of, of skeptics, of doubters. Um, he's that guy that um, he was with the apostles. He was with the disciples up in the room. And all of us, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Jesus appeared to the disciples after he resurrected. All right, let's catch up on the story real quick, right? Um, he, he caught up with the disciples. He appeared to the disciples and Thomas wasn't there. Boy, what a day to not show up to church, right? <laughs> you want to talk about missing when, when you're supposed to not, not forsaking the assembling of us together. And, and Jesus shows up and Thomas wasn't there. He shows up late and all the other disciples say, Thomas, you won't believe it. We saw the resurrected Lord. And what does Thomas have to say to that? Oh, guys, guys, he, he was crucified. What are you talking about? You saw Jesus. You saw him like spiritually, like he, he, spoke, to, he spoke to your heart. No, 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 no. We, we saw him. We ate with him. He's resurrected. He was there. And Thomas just, he, he wasn't having that, right? What does Thomas say? What's his testimony? Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He doubted. He just couldn't get there. Now, I don't want to be too hard on Thomas because most days I relate to Thomas. You ask me to believe something. We Christians, we're, we're a really audacious bunch. We, we ask people to believe some stuff that 21st century, it's really hard to believe some of this stuff. That a guy 2,000 years ago was publicly executed. They buried him. And three days later, he came back and, and his followers have been changing the world ever since. You expect me to believe that? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more. I'm going to need something unless, fill in the blank, I will never believe. I'm just going to be honest. I can relate to that. I can relate to that mood. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but notice something about Thomas. He still showed up. He was still there, but he doubted. He needed something more. And it was in that doubt that what happened. Well, if you, I'd invite you to go read that passage, John 20, uh, 24 through 29. Uh, go read it because it's actually a few weeks past. Thomas said that, I'll never believe. And a few weeks passed. And you know who was still at those meetings? Thomas. Still showed up. I, I, I'll never believe. I'm going to need something to see. And lo and behold, Jesus showed up again. And what did Jesus say? How dare you, Thomas? Is that what Jesus said? Jesus said, how dare you doubt me? You didn't see all these miracles? No, no. You know what, Thomas? You know what? You don't get to put your hand on my side. You don't get to put your fingers in the, in the marks of the nail. No, no, Thomas. You didn't believe then. You're not going to believe now. I got nothing for you. No, that's not what Jesus said at all. What was it? Help me. Jesus said, oh, you, you want to see something? You want to touch something? Here, put your finger here and see my hands. Thomas said, unless I see, I will never believe. Unless I put my hand there, I will never believe. And what did Jesus say? Well, then here. <laughs> Is that all? <laughs> here, here here's, the, here's the prince. Here, come here. Let me see your hand. One of my favorite paintings. I'm not, I'm not too much of a... Uh, I'm, I'm one of those people. I wish I was more into art than I actually am because I feel like I'd be more impressive that way. But I have seen some paintings. One of my favorite paintings is a painting of Doubting Thomas where, where he's leaned over and he's reaching into the side of Jesus. 
And as his hand is reaching in to put his hand into the, into the mark, into the scar of Jesus on, on the side where the spear entered, as, as Thomas's hand is entering there, you know my favorite thing about, his, about that painting is? On Thomas's hand is Jesus's guiding it into the wound. It's almost Jesus is saying, oh, you're doubting? You need to see something? Well, here, what's stopping you? See, Jesus doesn't scold us in our doubts. He meets us in our doubts. Jesus doesn't stop us from asking questions. Um, uh, I believe it was, uh, here's my man Dallas Willard again. Dallas Willard said, Jesus welcomes our questions. It gives him something to work with. And so my contention, and I think I'm going to try to be arguing, is that in our doubts is where we actually meet God. And that God meets us. All right, so in the way that we started last week, um, I, I want to start by clarifying some concepts. Because again, when we talk about knowing God, we use a lot of this language and it becomes so familiar um, that a lot of times we're just, we're, I'm afraid I am going to be saying some things and not really even thinking about what I'm saying, right? Not really knowing what I mean when I say these things. So tonight I want to differentiate between a few words, certainty, doubt, and confidence. Okay, so, so when we talk about doubt, I want to compare that. I want to contrast that with a couple of other words that we use a lot. Um, certainty and confidence to show how they're different from one another and how they relate to one another. Uh, one of the professors that I'm studying under right now, uh, his name's uh, Dr. Brandon Rickabaw. He wrote a wonderful essay that, that frankly has been very formative for me. I, I've, I've come back to this essay several times where, where he talks about the knowledge of God as eternal life. He studies, remember that long word I mentioned last week, epistemology? It's a philosophy of knowledge, what we mean when we say we know things. And his study in epistemology, he's taken that and related it to how, how powerful of a thing is it when Jesus says that to know God and, and his son whom he sent, that to, to know them, it, that is eternal life. How, how powerful of an idea that is. And he just drills down deep in that essay. So a lot of these distinctions, especially when we talk about certainty, are, are, are ones that he's made. I'm just, I'm just quoting directly from him. Um, so, so let's jump into it. What are the differences between certainty and confidence? And where does that leave doubt? Obviously, doubt is very different than, the, than those two things. Um, but, but I want to try to parse some of that out. All right, so first of all, let's start with the word certainty. Certainty... It is a really hard word to define, but, but trying to glean from some good definitions that I've seen, I say that certainty is a state of being convinced of the truth of something. Like when you're certain, you're convinced about the truth of something. And secondly, I would say it's the ideal situation regarding knowledge and belief. Like if you're trying to know something, certainty is as good as it gets, right? You, you don't get more than certain. Um, in terms of belief, if you're certain about something, you couldn't cause someone to believe otherwise, right? Um, and so, so knowledge and belief, like certainty, is just the ideal situation for us. Uh, when we talk about being convinced of something, you can't convince us otherwise. That's, that's the certainty we're looking for. Now, when we talk about certainty, um, it's interesting because certainty would be great, but there's a reason why we call it ideal. You know, ideal situations are really hard to come by. Um, anybody ever play outside sports, like, like in high school, college, or whatever you play a sport, like whether it's baseball, soccer, or football, those outside sports, they're dependent a lot of times whether or not you get to play, they're dependent on what? On the weather, on how, on whether or not it's an ideal situation, whether or not the wind's blowing too hard. I mean, not saying that, not, not, not even to mention whether or not it's downpouring rain, you can't even play at all. But even if there is a high wind where you're still playing, but it's going to cause a problem, ideal situations are really hard to come by. Well, guess what? Certainty? There's a lot of things in life 
that you like to be certain about, but you don't really know if you can. You don't want to, you want to be certain, but but it's really hard to come by. And so I think it's really important to distinguish between a couple of types of certainty. So first of all, there's uh, psychological certainty, what we refer to as psychological certainty. And that's the, uh, this is quoting Dr. Rickabaugh, uh, the complete conviction that one's belief is true. That's that, that's that conviction. That's that feeling of being, uh, of what you believe is true. Now you contrast that with epistemic certainty. There's our word epistemology that I keep bringing up. Um, epistemic cer uh, certainty is the ability to demonstrate that one's belief is grounded on the best possible evidence and reasons. Now, I'm getting kind of technical here, but, but only because it's a really important distinction to make. There's psychological certainty, and then there's epistemic cer uh, uh, certainty. Right? There's psychological surgery where I just, I feel the certainty, I feel the, the, the conviction that my belief is true. My, that, that's hence the word psychological, right? I, I feel that I am uh, correct in what I believe. I feel that my belief is true. Versus the epistemic surgery, uh, surgery, wow. Um, hopefully nobody's having surgery. Um, the, the, the epistemic certainty that, that I can actually demonstrate. I can actually give you a reason why what I'm saying is true. You see, those are two very different things, right? It's one thing to feel like you're certain, to feel convinced. It's another thing to be able to demonstrate how that is. Um, and, and so some of those distinctions that I want to make here, uh, we may have psychological certainty without epistemic certainty. Now, now, follow me. I know this is getting kind of technical, but, but follow me through this. We can have that first one, that, that psychological certainty, without having the epistemic certainty. Which, what situation does that put us in? That means that we may strongly believe something that's not actually true. Boy, you ever met anybody like that? <laughs> they believe it, and they believe it with all their heart. And then you ask them why. And they don't really have a reason for you. They just believe it. They just do. Can I say that for a long time I've been talking to Christians, and, and I'm afraid that a lot of days I've been one of those Christians, that I've had psychological certainty, but I didn't have epistemic certainty. I believed it, but please don't ask me why. <laughs> please don't ask me why I believe it. Please don't ask me the reasons I have to believe the things that I believe. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to come down too hard or besmirch the saints of old. But you know, and even in a lot of these old hymns, you ask me how I know he lives. Well, he lives within my heart. And you know what? That's a great feeling to know that Jesus lives within your heart. Amen. But can I talk from the perspective of a kid who grew up in church, who met a lot of these old saints that knew Jesus lived in their heart and they felt that, but I didn't. I didn't feel it. And so like Thomas, I was there saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to need something more. So, so what about the other side of that equation? We may have epistemic certainty without psychological certainty. Which means we have reasons for believing. It's just really hard to. <laughs> you see, this is why I think this, this, this distinction is so important because it really gives us an explanation for a lot of our experience, Right? As a Christian, I've been in that situation where I really, really wanted to believe, but I'm just not feeling it. I need a reason. I need, I need some substance there, 
right? Um, uh, how the old King James defines, uh, defines faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen. I need that substance. I need that evidence. I, I, I'm just not feeling it. And then there are other days where, where, um, where, where I have the reasons. I, I know that those reasons are there, but I'm just not feeling it. And so understanding the distinction between these two things, epistemic certainty and then psychological certainty, I think we can move forward that, so what is it when we doubt? What's, what's going on there? See, now we're starting to get some distinctions where we can put language to when I doubt something. Is it just that I'm not feeling it? <laughs> I mean, join the club. There are going to be days where I'm just not feeling it. Because on those days when I don't have psychological certainty, what can I fall back on? I can fall back on the reasons, the evidence that I have. I can fall back on the epistemic certainty that even though I'm not feeling it, Jesus is still risen. Right? <laughs> even though I'm not feeling it, God is still there and he wants a relationship with me. Even if I'm not feeling it, I've got those reasons. And you know what? When I have those reasons, guess what eventually comes along? Regardless of how I feel one day, don't worry, tomorrow's coming. Okay. So just making those distinctions, I think, are very, very helpful. So let's get into it. The topic of tonight, so, so, so contrast that certainty. It seems like certainty is on one end, the ideal situation, whereas doubt is something very different. Doubt's almost, I don't know that I would, you get into really messy situations when you start wanting to talk about this is the opposite of that. Um, and I've been a philosophy student long enough to know I'm not going to try to make any of those claims because, well, what about this? What about that? And I, I don't know. But it just seems like whatever certainty is, doubt's not that. Right? When you're doubting something, you're anything but certain. Okay? So here's my definition. Doubt is the state of being uncertain of the truth or reliability of something or someone. So we're talking about doubt, it's just being uncertain. I think that'll get us somewhere, right? Whatever doubt is, it's not being certain. Um, I think I mentioned last week when we talk about um, faith and we talk about trusting. Um, I'm a big proponent of talking about faith in terms of trust, by the way. A lot of folks get, get into some big conversations about what faith is and in how we use that word. Um, I, I love framing faith in a sense of trust. Because when we talk about trust, we talk about um, really low-level uh, moments of faith and really high-level moments of faith. Okay, so for instance, um, the knowledge that you all have of how chairs work. Do y'all remember? I mean, I'm sorry. When, whenever I'm involved, things are going to get a little weird. But y'all remember when we had that weird moment we talked about how y'all have knowledge about chairs, right? And I know that you have knowledge about chairs. Why? You believe chairs work because you actually sat in it. Okay, now, now, if I had some people lined up along the wall back here, say, like, hey, why are you standing? There's all these chairs up here. I don't trust those chairs. You see how, you see how all those things work? I know, like I said, it gets weird in here sometimes. Um, I, I, you can have that knowledge while not trusting. Okay, so, so then what is that called? Well, we would call that doubt. I'm uncertain. And I don't know if you've ever sat in some, I like to do a little wood, woodworking in, in my free time, what little bit of it I have. And I've built some pieces of furniture, um, some, some outside furniture and a couple of inside furniture. I, I like building stuff and I, I've got some, I built some chairs and some benches before. And I got to be honest with you, some things I've built before, you sit down with them, you can't be very certain. Um, you, you doubt it, right? And so that, that sense of uncertainty, where does that get us? Um, the reliability of something or someone. Well, again, I think some distinctions are really important to make because there are different types of doubt. There are different types of uncertainty. Again, if we're going to be dealing with our doubts, it's important to know exactly what we're dealing with, right? So, so what are some of these types of doubt? Well, first, there's emotional doubt. 
I'm probably with a room full of people, this, this many people, there, there's probably been some folks you could point to a moment of emotional doubt, whatever it is, not necessarily in God, just in other people and other things. Well, this emotional doubt is the psychological uncertainty we were talking about. It's a feeling. It's a psychological uncertainty, a feeling of uh, being unsure or feeling unsure about the truth of something. And so this emotional doubt that we talk about, it's really kind of hard to put into words because it's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's a what it's like to be. Right? Now, I would contrast that with something, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in terms of causes. So what causes emotional doubt? And I just listed a few things that came to mind. Like as I was writing up these notes, I'm thinking, well, what causes doubt? <laughs> All sorts of stuff causes doubt, right? But emotional doubt, you really pin down what emotional doubt is by its causes. So emotional doubt a lot, a lot of times has to do with loneliness. Um, you doubt a relationship a lot of times because you don't get to interact with that person. Um, my wife and I were, most of our engagement, we were engaged for about a year, and most of our engagement, I was at college and she was working. And so we were in two different states, and that relationship was very strained because long-distance relationships are the worst. Why is that? Why, why are they the worst? Well, you start getting lonely. And not, not just lonely for friends in general, but lonely for that person, right? And so because that relationship end up, ends up getting strained, there were, there were moments of doubt, right? And so there's, there's uh, that emotional loneliness of doubt. Um, there, there's uh, suffering, dysfunction, all sorts of things that could bring us to doubt. Now, I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself, but think about how all these types of emotion or the, these, these sources of emotional doubt play into church, play into our faith. Could it be that we're doubting God because of some emotional doubt that we're having? Now, I just wrote in there causes or uh, other causes, question mark, because no doubt you could probably think of some. You could probably think of some things that that have happened to you or to someone else that caused this emotional doubt, this feeling of mistrust or this feeling of being unsure about the truth of something. Now, just to give us a little bit more clarity, contrast that with skeptical doubt. Now, skeptical doubt is something very different than emotional doubt. A lot of times emotional doubt is it feels like something that's happening to you, whereas skeptical doubt, um, it seems a lot more intentional. Matter, matter of fact, I have that word in, in the term there. It's still a psychological uncertainty. It's still a feeling, a psychological uncertainty, but it is an intentional disposition against the truth of something. I don't know if you've ever had a skeptic in your life before. Um, I happen to be a resident skeptic for a lot of relationships in, in, in my life. Um, I, it's, just, it's just how God made me where I'm just intentionally skeptical. I just have a disposition to question things. Um, call it curiosity if you want to be nice. If you want to be nice to me, then it's, oh, he's just curious. No, I'm just skeptical. Uh, I'm just going to pick this thing apart, man. I, 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 I'll tell you this. I, I'll tell you where, okay, this is a toxic character trait. I probably shouldn't be telling you this about myself. Um, but, but in terms of sports, I love sports. I do. I'm not really beholden to many teams. I grew up in Atlanta. I was talking to some guys back there. I grew up in Atlanta. So it's like all my Atlanta teams, I'm used to disappointment. Um, you know, when you, when you follow a football team, that the, 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 the most recent notable thing they've done is blow a historic lead in the Super Bowl, had the largest, largest lead in Super Bowl history, and then just blow it away. 
you, you learn you learn to be cynical you know you just you got to cope with it some ways right and so what do i do to, to to fix my own dysfunction i go mess with other people who who are fans of other teams and it's like whenever i get in one of these debates i know this is clemson town this is tiger town i know uh, do i have any gamecocks fans in here oh yeah would you do, wow i'm surprised yes, you raised your hand cool yes, um well there's a few of you y'all can team up together anyways oh sorry i may be stepping into something here um listen i don't have a dog in the fight um, because it's, it's literally roosters and tigers, but whatever. Um, I don't really have a dog in the fight. Um, Bulldogs fan. Uh, there's, there's jokes here, people. Yeah, anyways, um, I don't really have a dog in the fight, but here's what I do. Whoever's being the most annoying, I'm going to get on the other side. And I'm going to pick that argument apart, and I'm just going to be intentionally skeptical of whatever you have to say, and I'm just going to pull... What is that? That's skepticism. Can I tell you, that serves me really well when it comes to arguing with folks. It doesn't serve well when it comes to faith. <laughs> it doesn't serve well when it comes to a God who says, trust me. Do you trust me? Are you going to follow me? That skepticism can become very difficult, very dangerous, very quickly. Um, growing up, it, it, was, it was one of those moments where my skepticism, uh, I had doubts, and those doubts turned to skepticism, and then that skepticism turned to cynicism, and that cynicism just turned to all out, well, just, just giving up. Um, so this skeptic, this skeptical doubt, maybe I'm spending a little time here belaboring it because this is where I find myself a lot of days, but it's an intentional disposition against the truth of something. If you find yourself doubting God, if you find yourself doubting the Bible, if you find yourself doubting in the faith, can I ask you, are you just being skeptical? You're just trying to cause a problem. Like I'm trying to cause between some fans here. Are we being intentionally, do we have an intentional disposition towards that? Or could it be something else? Okay, some of the causes, um, anger. <laughs> um, there, were, there were a lot of times where I was angry at God because I was angry at Christians, and therefore I wanted to pick those things apart. It was that intentional disposition to do so. Mistrust. Um, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there's a lot of folks right now that mistrust Christians, and therefore they mistrust Christianity. And so they're going to be intentionally skeptical against it. Um, mistreatment. A lot of that, a lot of times skepticism is well-founded because folks have been mistreated. And so when the people who mistreat you tell you what you ought to believe, you're a lot less likely to believe it. Am I right? So there's that intentional disposition to skepticism, um, that skeptical doubt. And I'm sure you could probably come up with others. The third type of doubt I want to talk about, the last type of uh, doubt, um, I think is a lot more straightforward than the others. It's not a psychological doubt. It's not as emotionally charged as the others. Um, it's an epistemic certainty where maybe even you want to believe. You're not skeptical. You're not cynical. You're not even all that emotional. You, you might want to believe, but it's the inability to support one's belief in evidence or reason. The inability to support. I, I want to believe. Um, if, for, for my money, I think this is where Thomas was. I think Thomas was there. I think Thomas wanted to believe, but he just couldn't get there. I'm going to need some evidence, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to need some. You're going to need to show me something. Now, with these three things, oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Causes. Uh, what are some of those causes? Just honest questions. Uh, confusion. A lot of times it's just it's, it's confusing. Um, we, we have a lot of confusing things that we're asked to believe in Scripture, and it just there's, there's confusion that happens. Um, a lot of times conflict, and when I say conflict, I don't necessarily mean interpersonal conflict. I just mean, okay, so if I'm supposed to believe this, and I'm supposed to believe that, 
how am I supposed to believe those at the same time? Because those two things don't seem to go together. There's, there's conflict there. Okay? So this intellectual doubt contrasted with the first two types of doubt. Can I walk you through my journey really quick? Uh, my journey of doubt, my experience, I, I told you a lot of this stuff is coming from my studies, things I'm, I'm, I'm studying more formally, but they also come from a very personal place. And my journey of doubt, uh, my, my spiritual journey has been one that's been fraught with doubt. Um, there's been a lot of corners, a lot of turns. And um, not necessarily in this order. It's not as nice and neat in this order. Because any given point in my life, you could have probably found all three types of these, uh, all three of these types of doubt in my life. However, in my life, I find that there are times that are more characteristically defined by emotional doubt. A lot of, a lot of stuff goes on when you grow up. I was, a, I was a pastor's kid. And so seeing behind the scenes, it gets real ugly back there, right? When you see how the sausage is made, it just, it gets real ugly back there. You see, you see the, the you, a lot of times you see the masks that people wear on Sunday, but then when they come into counseling on Monday, that mask comes off. Or when you get that nasty phone call late at night, because somebody's got to complain against the pastor, that, that mask comes off. And so seeing my dad treated this way and seeing that person treat that person and just being, being witness to all of it, there was a lot of emotional doubt. right? And then as I grew up and started having questions of my own, and let's be honest, no, no teenager is easy to deal with. When I started having, having that angst, that classic teenage angst of, of growing up in that, in that Christian bubble, I like to call it, um, it turned into a lot of skeptical doubt, where I, w- I just had the disposition, where I just wanted to pull things apart. But thank God, thank God that, that God's grace is long-suffering. <laughs> Anybody testify to that? That, that? that God is patient and he's long-suffering, and when he loves you, he loves you all the way through. He loves you uh, oftentimes not in spite of all those those flaws and those, those things, but because of those things, it seems like. And God loved me more than I deserved, and he was patient, and he kept working in my life. And I found this little bit of evidence and this little argument and, and this, that, and the other. And before long, God started to disarm a lot of the emotional doubt. God started to disarm a lot of the skeptical doubt, started to soften my heart, and I finally submitted to God. But can I just say that wasn't the end of the doubt? That, that turn where I really gave myself to God, there, there was a solid year in my, of my life where I just, I, I wanted everything to go Godward. I wanted every decision to be for God. I wanted everything to be for God. I, I, I was sick of living for myself and I wanted to live for God. There was a solid year of time where I just, I, I let go of all of that and I just gave myself wholly to God as much as I possibly could. But that wasn't the end of the doubt. Matter of fact, some of the hardest questions that I've ever had to face were after I had submitted to God, but because it was purely intellectual doubt, I'm good. I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so I'm so happy to testify that because I was secure emotionally, and because I was I had, I had laid aside my skepticism, because I had that assurance in God, I was able to grapple more deeply with harder questions. Does that make sense? That that because I was able to leverage. Uh, getting through all of that previous doubt, I was able to go on to some things that, that frankly, it was still doubt, but I was more equipped to handle it. Now, here's an important puzzle piece that we're going to be dealing with more, more, more specifically as I move on. The previous doubt in my life equipped me to deal with future doubt. 
Now, if I had just shunned, if I had just given up, if I had just like passed on all of that stuff, you know, just, just, just missed me with all this stuff, I'm just, I, I allowed the doubt to get the better of me. I don't know that I would have been able to handle the more difficult questions that I'm dealing with even now. Uh, I'm writing a paper right now. As a matter of fact, I probably should get home and finish it. Uh, I'm writing a paper right now on, on the problem of evil. God's so good. If God's so powerful, why is, all this, why is everything so bad all around us? It's a really, really difficult problem to deal with. And there have been really, really big moments, really big walls that I've come up against. And I don't know that I would have been able to handle it had God not brought me through previous doubts. If I didn't have that trust, if I didn't have, if God has not already demonstrated that I can trust him through these things. Keep that in mind as we move on. Now, one more idea, um, one, one more word. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. You know what? I think I just found a typo. We just covered types of doubt. Um, let me get into uh, this next word that's supposed to be confidence. I don't know why doubt is still up there. I confuse myself sometimes. Confidence. So, so this next word that I want to distinguish is confidence. Um, another promise. I, I think I told you last week, I don't use big words unless I absolutely have to. That's a promise I make to my students. Another promise that I make to my students, I don't reference other languages unless I think it's good for you. Right, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not a Greek guy. I've not studied it formally. Latin, I, no thanks. Um, but, but every once in a while, you find this stuff comes in handy, right? So this word confidence, if you break this word down, confide. Right? Um, now, now con is, is in other languages even, it's, it's a word with, and fide is faith. So we talk about confidence, all of a sudden that word makes a whole lot more sense to me. To say that I have confidence in something, what does that mean exactly? I mean, it just means I have faith in it. I trust it. Right? So, so when I go forward in confidence, I'm going forward having trusted whatever I'm going forward on. So, so this confidence, this, this going forward with faith is a level of trust that we have in an object. Okay? Now, this is sort of different between our, our contrast between doubt and certainty. Well, let's talk this word confidence because I think it, it does a really good thing for us. It helps us out a lot when we talk in terms of confidence. A couple things I like about confidence. First of all, confidence is gradual. It's gradual. It comes in grades. Uh, our confidence is greater or lesser based on our knowledge and experiences. So why should you come study uh, Pastor Travis's theology class? Because the more you know about God, the more confidence you can have in God. Y'all see how that works? Why should you come to church? Because the more you allow God to work in your life, the more, go ahead and say it for me, confidence you can have in God. Why should you worship? Why should you go through with the spiritual disciplines? Why should you read your Bible and pray? Why should you commit to those, those reading calendars we've got? This, why, why should you do all of those things? Because the more knowledge you've got, the more experiential or interpersonal knowledge, like we talked about last week, the more knowledge you've got of God, the more confidence you have in God. So that confidence grows. And so, so knowing that, it's not a matter of being certain or uncertain, that confidence can grow. We can grow in our faith, certainly all throughout Scripture. How often in Scripture does it talk about our faith growing, right? That's the confidence that we're talking about. Not only is it gradual, it's also objectual. There's an object to it. It's, it's, it's directional. It goes towards something. Our confidence is directed at something or someone. That's why I have a really hard time with a lot of conversations folks have these days. We're like, oh, I'm a person of faith. Okay, in my thinking, that's an incomplete sentence. I'm a person of faith. That's like somebody, for, me, for somebody to tell me I'm a person of faith, that's like saying, oh, I threw the ball to... 
You're going for to who? Who'd you throw it to? Did you just throw it? That that's weird. Why? Now you gotta go get it. Um, to to whom are you throwing? You have faith. Okay, great. In in what? In who? A person of faith. You mean you do religious things? No. If you're going to say you're a person of faith, you got to finish that sentence and tell me then what's your faith in. It's a conversation I have a lot with with folks who want to walk away from God. You know, uh, the, there's there's this movement right now. I don't know how familiar you are with this term deconstruction. It's like a whole movement now of of deconstructing your faith. And it's like I try to be charitable and 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 see. Okay, well maybe there's something good here. Maybe there's something legitimate that folks are doing. They're deconstructing their faith. But a lot of times when folks deconstruct their faith, they're walking away from God, but they're never asking themselves the question, well, then what are you walking to? You don't want to believe in God, then what are you going to believe in? More on that later. So our, our faith, or this confidence is objectual. There, there's something, our faith always has an object, right? Now, where does this get us? I think, I think all this stuff helps us a lot, right? That if we differentiate between certainty and doubt and confidence... Well, I'll summarize it this way. Identifying the object of our confidence may tell us a lot about why we're doubting and how certain we can expect to be. Let me unpack that a little bit. Identifying the object of our confidence. What are you trusting? What's your faith in? May tell us a lot about why we are doubting and how certain we can expect to be. Talking about those folks that are deconstructing right now. A lot of them, it seems to be the testimony that a lot of them had a lot of confidence in the church, had a lot of confidence in Christians, and I say Christ, in, in Christians, they had a lot of confidence in pastors, they had a lot of confidence in church structures. Well, if you have confidence in those things, can I just go ahead and say, at some point they're going to fail you. And at some point that pastor's going to mess up, present company included, and I'm sure he would be the first to admit that. At some point in time, when your faith is in that person or that structure or that institution, at some point in time, those things are going to fail you. So maybe you're doubting because your confidence is in the wrong object. Am I making sense here? Maybe the cause of our doubt is not so much that us. It's not maybe, maybe not our problem. Maybe the thing that we're trusting isn't really trustworthy. You see, anytime you try to put something on God's throne that's not God, it's not going to work. And anytime you try to trust or have confidence in something that's not God, at some point in time, it's not going to work. So identifying that and really grappling with that, identifying the object of our confidence may tell us a lot about why we're doubting and how certain we can expect to be. Um, when we talk about certainty, uh, a lot of Christians, they want to go in for certainty. They want absolute certainty. I remember growing up and hearing preachers talk about all the time. You need to know that you know that you know that you're saved. Okay, how? <laughs> know that you know that you know that you're saved. Do you remember a time and place? I, I, maybe, but what if I can't? If my confidence is in my own ability to know when I came to faith in Jesus Christ, how confident am I going to be in my faith? Not very. If my confidence is how, how faithful I am to Jesus, how confident is my faith going to be? Not very. But if my confidence is in Jesus, well, there, there's something to be confident about. 
I had a student ask me recently, if y'all don't mind me, me annotating or um, giving a little bit anecdotal, I had a student ask me recently, um, and, and I should probably tell you, so, so some of my favorite students to teach, I'm not allowed to have favorites, so please don't tell my work I said that, but some of my favorite students to teach, I've taught several students who are autistic, um, and usually it's, it's Asperger's, um, and, and some of my favorite students to teach because they're so smart, and they just don't care what you think. They, they just absolutely couldn't. They're not trying to fool anybody because they can't. They're not trying to please anybody because they don't want to. They are just there. And if you don't have anything for them, then they're not interested. And so in Bible class, what's awesome is that they, they, they're made for some really good Christians, too, because they are no nonsense. Hey, if God said it, then let's do this. God said to go tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. Why wouldn't I? What, what reason do I have not to? And I had a student ask me one time, so Mr. Satterfield, you say you're confident and you're, I don't know if you use the word confident now I'm thinking about it. I'm, I'm trying to think of his exact words because he would want me to think of his exact words. He said, how sure are you? That, that was a, basically the long and short of it. How sure are you? It's like, well, I don't know, man. You asked me to put a percentage on it? I don't know, how sure am I? I'm like, if you can put a percentage on it, that would help. Like, okay. Um, I'm, I'm 100% sure I'm, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, I'm 100% sure. Maybe that, was, maybe that was the question. Are you going to heaven? How sure are you? I'm 100% sure. And he just looked at me. Whenever you get a look from one of these kids, you know, like, some, some's, what, what I, I said something wrong. So I messed up somehow. He just, he just looked at me. What, what do you, 100%, how can you possibly know 100%? So, well, well hold on a second. I, I'm not 100% sure because of anything that has to do with me. That's not where my confidence comes from. That's not what I'm sure about. I'm not 100%. If it was me, that number would be far, far lower. <laughs> far, far lower. No, I'm 100% sure because the only way I don't make it is if Jesus fails. And Jesus don't fail. That's where my 100% comes from. See, my confidence is not in my own ability. That's like, that's like step number one of the gospel, right? All have sinned and come short. If you're trying to make God's glory, it's not going to happen. No, your confidence is in Jesus. So finding that confidence, and I find that a lot of times in my own life, when I find myself doubting, it's because my confidence is in something that's not worthy of my confidence. It's not worthy. It's not trustworthy. That was my sermon for the night. Let me keep on moving. So let's do what we came here to do tonight. And I'm going to try to hustle through this. Dealing with doubt. How exactly do we deal with this doubt? Well, the most important thing about, uh, about doubts regarding your faith is how you deal with them. That's the most important thing. It's not that you have them. Now, I'm going to try to show you in just a minute. It's not a problem that you have doubts. That's not a problem. It's how you deal with it. That's, that's what's key. See, many Christians suppress their doubts. Um, because doubts are difficult, doubts are hard to deal with, so a lot of Christians just rather not do, do the whole thing. They just rather not do that dance. And, and I'm afraid that I've come in contact with a lot of, uh, a lot of ministers and a lot of ministries that, that are happy that folks are willing to do that. I've, I've been in situations where I've seen questions asked to people who should have had an answer, and they didn't. And it wasn't just one of these, I don't have an answer for you now, but I'll come back. It was one of these, well, I think you just need to pray more. You're just, I don't know that we should be asking those types of questions. And when we suppress our doubts, that becomes a problem because my experience, and I'm sure in yours, doubts don't tend to go away. If anything, they tend to get bigger and worse. So many Christians suppress their doubts. Many Christians are suppressed by their doubts. Now, there's me. I've been crippled by doubts before. I've been, I've been to the point where I don't want to pray for fear of feeling like a crazy person talking to the walls. How, how, how am I supposed to know that, God? I mean, I, give, give me something. You got to give me something. 
Now, I'm thankful to testify that God has given me those somethings when I needed them. But a lot of Christians are suppressed by their doubts. They're crippled by their doubts. And that ought not be the case either. Uh, a pastor named, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. A pastor by the name of Timothy Keller, he often says that doubts are to our faith what antibodies are to our immune system. Now, I, I know that we're still not out quite out of the COVID era yet. And I'm not trying to get all political here, but think about your immunity. A lot of folks have become experts on antibodies lately. Have you noticed that? Um, so, so again, I'm not trying to talk about that. But, but typically speaking, our immune system, how, how does that work exactly? We get antibodies when we're exposed to something. We're exposed to something we don't necessarily want, but what is our body able to do? It's able to build up an immunity so that next time we come in contact with that thing, it's not as big of a problem, if it is at all. Doubts work a lot like antibodies. You're exposed to something that may not necessarily be pleasant, but if we coddle ourselves by refusing to acknowledge our doubts, we become more susceptible to future doubts. Here's a problem to someone that, that, that coddles themselves too much in the faith. Those doubts are not going to go away. In fact, they're going to come back worse. They're going to come back harder. They're going to come back more difficult, deeper. Here's what I've recognized teaching young people as long as I have. Teaching in high school, the, I can tell, I can, almost, I can almost predict how well my seniors in high school that I teach, how well they were discipled when they were in junior high based on the difficulty of questions that they ask me, based on the level of doubt that they have. If they come into my class with all sorts of doubts and the hardest questions you've ever had to answer, and they just, they just don't know what to believe, and they just have the hardest time believing no matter how many answers you get, you know what that tells me? That means they were coddled when they were younger, and they weren't allowed to ask hard questions, and they weren't given good answers. Maybe, maybe there were some questions that were given, but they weren't any that anybody was asking. And maybe there were some answers that were, that were given, but they weren't answers to help anybody. And so by the time they get to me as seniors in high school, those doubts have been festering and turning into something so much worse, so much more difficult to deal with. Now I'm here for it, and that's what God has called me to, but I'm just saying doubts have a way of not going away. And if we just coddle ourselves, then we make ourselves more susceptible to worse doubts in the future. But here's a really good, a really good however, if we're honest with ourselves by engaging our doubts, we become more capable of handling future doubts. If we're honest with ourselves by engaging those doubts, we become more capable of handling future doubts. Probably the best place to start is understanding that faith and doubt are not incompatible. Now, I'm using a double negative there on purpose. Faith and doubt are not incompatible. I don't know that I would want to go, okay, here's the philosophy student in me. I don't know that I want to go in and, and say that, that faith and doubt are compatible. That doesn't seem right to me, but they're not incompatible. You can have faith and doubt at the same time. In fact, we find a lot of stellar examples where that's the case. Look at a couple that I've given you there. Um, John the Baptist. I mean, think John the Baptist, the, 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 the one who, who was so faithful to Jesus, who was, who was the one to, to call for Jesus' coming. John the Baptist was arrested. Something happened in his life that caused him to doubt. What kind of doubt that was? Maybe we can have fun with that some other time. But he started to doubt whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. He sent his followers to ask him, are you the one we're looking for or should we look for another? You imagine a prophet asking the Messiah, are, are you sure? I mean, I know I baptized you and I know, I know I saw the other two persons of the Trinity come down and confirm your Messiahship. 
But is it you? Hey, listen, if John the Baptist can doubt, I think we all have permission. If John the Baptist can ask honest questions, I think we all have permission. And what does Jesus say? Go tell him. Go tell him. Take some time to go read that passage. Go tell John that the blind see and the deaf hear and the dead are raised again. Go tell him. Because Jesus doesn't mind our doubts. In fact, after he says, go tell him, go tell him everything you see, he then turns back and says, hey, listen, y'all need to know about John. What does he say? Among those born of women, there has arisen none greater than John the Baptist. And he doubted. Can I just say for this skeptic, that does something for my heart. Uh, One of my favorite verses in the Bible. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Mark 9, 24. There's a father whose son is... um, He's he's, uh, just smitten with this devil. He brings him to the disciples and the disciples can't heal him. And and the disciples lacking faith and lacking the ability to do so. They bring him to Jesus desperate. So here's some disciples that lack faith. and, And here's all this crowd that lacks faith. And this father comes to Jesus just desperate and saying, if you can do it, please heal him. And Jesus says to him almost sarcastically, if I can do it, you know, you don't know who you're talking to. And what does the man say? I believe, but help my unbelief. You can have faith and doubt. I believe, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me in my doubt. Now, um, I've intentionally left a lot of this stuff without any blanks because I, I figured I'd put myself here. One of my professors says this, I feel like I feel like that, that butcher that accidentally backed into a meat grinder, I got a little behind in my work. And so um, some of y'all are going to get that about halfway home tonight. Um, and so let me just run through this. All right, Satterfield, you, you caused a problem, now fix it. You're talking about doubt, now fix it. What are we supposed to do about this? I got doubts and it's okay. What do I do about it? Well, because I'm Baptist, I alliterated for us so we can remember it easier. Um, I'm sorry, that, that was uh, too, too many jokes tonight. Um, but here's my three E's. All right, this is Satterfield's three E's for dealing with doubt, and this is personally prescribed. This is something that I, I can speak from experience. This is this is how I, I I've dealt with it before. I hope it helps. Number one, evaluate. I'm sorry, I should probably catch you up on the screen here. Um, evaluate. Ask yourself questions. How big of a deal is this? I mean, what the thing that you're doubting right now is this earth shattering? Does that mean God doesn't exist? Does that mean Jesus doesn't save? I've questioned verses in the Bible. Ah, I don't know about that. Okay, but that doesn't mean God doesn't exist anymore, right? <laughs> that doesn't mean Jesus didn't die for your sins. You know, how big of a deal is this? Um, am I asking something reasonable? God, I want to know and I want to know now. I told you all a little bit about my cancer this past summer. Um, I would have loved for God to have opened up the heavens and said, here is why I am inflicting you with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. But I think that's expecting too much. And it's not, it's not reasonable for me to ask out of God. Frankly, I don't know that I have the right to expect that, right? So when you're doubting, ask yourself, am I, am I even asking for something reasonable here? And here's another one that, that, that's helpful. Is this a defeater or a difficulty? This thing that I'm doubting, does this disprove something or does it just make things a little more complicated? No, the, the thing that causes your doubt, is, is, it, is it a speed bump or is it a wall, Right? 
Because if it's a wall, then I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. If it's a speed bump, I may just need to slow down a little bit. Is it a defeater or a difficulty? So evaluate that. The next E, explore. Okay, now we've evaluated. Let's, let's explore a little bit. Which parts of my belief are causing the most doubt? I believe some things, right? And, and, and if I believe some things, and, and this particular belief is causing a lot of doubt, well, is, is, that, my belief, is that as important as my beliefs over here? Because if so, then I can still be confident in all of these things while being able to explore and figure out what's going on over here. Um, how much of my knowledge is, how much of my doubt is due to a lack of understanding? Maybe I just don't get stuff. Maybe I just need to do my homework a little bit. Maybe I doubt because I don't realize that there's been 2,000 years of church history of Christians grappling with this stuff. Maybe I just need to do some homework. Um, here's, here's one I love, and this is, this is real personal for me. What beliefs am I accepting if I disbelieve what I'm doubting? I know that's a lot. Take a minute. What beliefs am I accepting? Tim, Tim Keller again says this, that, that we ought to doubt our doubts and we ought to doubt our doubts well. So, okay, you doubt, you doubt that God exists. Okay, then what beliefs are you going to have to accept if God doesn't exist? Because as it turns out, all of the problems, and this, is, this has been something that I've been wonderfully figuring out as, as I've been studying, all of the problems that people are trying to avoid by saying that God doesn't exist, they only make those problems worse by saying that God doesn't exist. So whatever you're doubting, whatever you're doubting, you got to ask yourself, then what am I going to have to accept because of what I'm doubting? What beliefs am I accepting if I disbelieve what I'm doubting? That is something to explore. And then lastly, express. Um, one of the greatest things, one of the most wonderful discoveries I had going through my doubts and trying to figure this out is that we have, we have had so many wonderful thinkers in church history that have been thinking about this and been giving wonderful answers for years and years and years. And answers, answers that are such good answers are kind of hard to grapple with. And then second, who can I talk to about my doubts? I'll go and throw this one up there. What can I do to strengthen my confidence in God? Um, remember last week we talked about that interrational, inter, inter, um, that, that um, interactional relationship that we're called to interact with God in order to grow in our relationship with Him, right? Well, could it be that we're doubting the things of God because we don't spend enough time with Him? You see, doubting, if there's one thing you should know about doubting, it's not something to do by yourself. Doubting is something that's best done in community. Doubting is best done at church. Here's one more thing I'll point out about Thomas. He doubted, he just couldn't believe. And yet eight weeks later, he's still showing up to hang out with the disciples. Think about it. He didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but he's still coming to church. Can I just say, if you ever find yourself doubting, don't stop coming. That's the last thing you need to do. Doubting is best done in community. I, I really appreciate y'all uh, taking so much time to listen. And I'm sorry I've gone so much over. So let me leave you with this. Remember that doubts like many difficulties in life, could actually be opportunities to know God more. That's what we're dealing with here, right? Knowing God through the doubts. And that's what I hope I've been able to help with a little bit tonight. Thank you so much for listening. I'll pray and, and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the time that you've given us here. I pray that something that was said would be helpful to someone. Uh, maybe not tonight, maybe not uh, tomorrow, but in the future when those doubts do come, help us to go into them with full confidence that you are our God and that Jesus is our Savior. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. 
Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.